God is in the business of saving the lost, but our sufferings aren't lost on Him either. Pastor Xavier Reese with The Simple Truth. You recall suffering that you've gone through and you say, oh, it's not fair. Lord, how come me? And here it is years down the line and you look back to that monster and you say, thank you, Jesus. You learned obedience through the things you suffered. Thank God for His wisdom. He knows exactly what I need. I thank God I serve Him. Submit yourself to the will of God. It's the best thing for you. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Contrary to what some might believe, faith in God doesn't put you on easy street in navigating life struggles. In fact, Pastor Xavier explains a decision for Christ is an invitation for a whole new spiritual warfare that you didn't have before. But in this Simple Truth study titled, Suffering with Understanding, we'll see God not only feels your pain, but He has many purposes for the discomfort His children endure. We get started with our text for today. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1-6 through 6. The life of Christ is a life of suffering. Verse 1, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in licentiousness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regards to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. As I said, the context is suffering for righteousness' sake. Christ is our pattern. Paul the Apostle told the Colossians in Colossians 1.24 that he rejoiced in his sufferings, filling up in his own flesh what was lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of the body, his church. Now, Paul is not saying that he is continuing to suffer for Christ to fill up the atonement. What he is saying is that now since he is a Christian, he has identified himself with Christ and therefore he automatically, whether he wants to or not, he is identified with the world with his sufferings. And that since Christ is no longer physically present in the world and we are the only representation of Christ in the world, therefore they're going to bring the physical persecution on us because Christ is not present. But if Christ was present, they would continue to persecute him. And so the sufferings that we experience is because of our identity with Jesus Christ. He's the pattern. Then the proclamation, he says, arm yourselves with the same mind, which is that we are in a spiritual warfare. We're not only soldiers of the cross, but we are in a spiritual warfare, not physical. I think too often we forget and we think that it's just physical and we fall prey to the enemy. It is a spiritual warfare for Paul even says in Ephesians 6, 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and dominions of darkness that set themselves in high places. But it's not physical. 
It's a spiritual warfare. Now the proclamation is interesting. He says, For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. This is a tremendous perspective. Listen to that. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. This is the third principle. You see, the reason I suffer physically is because I have come a point in my life where I no longer live for sin. And there's a warfare going on. The perspective is that I suffer because there is a warfare, the lust against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, Galatians 5.17 says. No longer do I live for my sinful impulses. I no longer live the rest of my life in the passions of the flesh, in the impulses that are sinful. Why? Because I'm born again. And so that in itself brings a warfare. Verse 3 identifies the impulses of the flesh. They're synonymous with the life of the Gentile and the past life. He says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in licentiousness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Past, no longer present, doing the will of the Gentiles. Now, whenever you think of walking, you think of making progress. You think of moving on. You think of going towards something. We were going away from God, living for our own selves. He enumerates some of these things, and you find them throughout Scripture in Romans and Galatians and in different areas. The first two, licentiousness and lust, deal with sensual passions. Sensual passion, that which God gave to us, which is legitimate in the context of marriage, the sinful desires and the sinful nature of man twisted and perverts it. And so some of us jump from bed to bed like if there were musical chairs. And we really didn't want to be restrained, neither could we be restrained. We were without any help. Lust means desires, things that we had no control over. How often the world say, I'm not going to do that again. I'm never going to do that. <laughs> we couldn't stop. But in the past. So those are sins of sensuality. But then the sins of social misconduct, drunkenness, revelry, drinking parties. You remember those days? Three, four days, no sleep. And the only reason you went to sleep is because you passed out after the fourth day. That's all we could do. But thank God that's in the past. And so we see the perspective. We suffer in this flesh because we have ceased from a life of sin. As you look around the world and you see young people destroying themselves, doesn't it hurt you? Do you have compassion for them? Or do you exalt yourself above them? I grieve for the youth of America. Children who have no direction, no counsel, no wisdom given to them, neither by word nor by deed in their parents. And they're like sheep going to the slaughter. You die daily as a Christian. You not only die to sin, but you die as you see sin destroying the life of people. And your prayer is, God, save them. God, touch them. God, show us how to reach them. 
Because I know what it feels like. I know what it is like. I was there for 23 years, almost 24. I never want to forget that. The day I forget it is the day I will stop being effective for the Lord. But on the positive side, he says at the end of verse 2, now we live for the will of God. Now we live for the will of God. And because we live for the will of God, there again we experience suffering. <laughs> because of that battle. Once again, you can't get away from it. There is a constant battle. If anyone desires to come after me, listen to the words of Jesus. First of all, let him deny himself. That means lose sight of yourself. Now you talk about suffering in the flesh. Deny yourself. Secondly, take up your cross. The cross is an instrument of death, not something that we have made it so pretty. It's an instrument of death. If you don't deny yourself, you'll never pick up your cross. Denial of self is first before the cross comes. If you think the cross will deny you, no. If you haven't denied yourself, the cross will only make you a murmur and a complainer and self-righteous. You must deny yourself, then pick up your cross. And if you do, then the third step is, follow me. The pattern of Christ, suffering. Paul told the Philippians that he didn't want to know anything except Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. That was his goal, his desire. Our body is not our own. We've been bought with a price, Paul says to the Corinthians. We're to present our body a living sacrifice, not a dead carcass. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is our reasonable service, that we be not fashioned to this world system, but be transformed, metamorphosed to the renewing of our mind to what? To prove is that good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. You see, our whole motivation of life is to please God, not to please one another any longer. And God forbid that you should go into a church and allow the pressure of people so that you act to conform to people and to please them. You please the Lord. You be obedient to the Word of God. Don't fall to the pressures of men. You used to do that in the world. Don't do it inside the church. You commit yourself to the will of God. There's the positive aspect. And so here you have the principles of suffering. We're identified with Christ. That's why. He's the pattern. We suffer because we have ceased from a life of sin. That's the proclamation. And thirdly, the perspective. And you see there in that perspective is that we're new creatures. So there's that warfare that goes on. And so I, I shouldn't think it's strange when all these things happen. He's already, he tells us later on in verse 12 of chapter 4, we shouldn't think it's strange when we fall into fiery trials. It should be a natural thing in the life of the Spirit. Remember that when Jesus was taken to the wilderness, who took him there? It says the Spirit drove him there. Do you know that once you begin your life praying and then you're filled with the Spirit of God, you know what the Spirit dares to do next? He throws you into testing. <laughs> The Spirit of God throws you into testing because He wants you to pick up the pattern and follow the steps of Jesus. That you might experience the power of Jesus. That you might experience the same proclamated gospel that they experienced in the first century. That's His goal. Now in verses 4 through 6, He gives us the purpose of suffering because you need to have some understanding. 
You've seen the principles of suffering. Here is the purpose of suffering. First, we have the power in verse 4. In regards to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. The power is that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. I like the word flood. It gives me the picture of, of, of power that can't be restrained. It speaks to me of destructive power. It speaks to me of an excess. And then he says dissipation. It's the very same word that is used for the prodigal son and riotous living or wasteful living. And so here is the purpose. To demonstrate the power of God that you no longer have to be as everyone else. To give that witness to the non-believing world, to your friends, to your loved ones, to everybody else. That as you go through these sufferings, spiritually attack and being manifested physically of soul, is to give a witness of the power of God in your life. They think it's strange. They look at you and say, well, you know, I mean, he used to be the life of the party. Now he's a dud. He used to tell them most funniest, dirty jokes, and now, you know, he won't even stick around when we say one. And all of a sudden, they think it's strange. They say, what's the matter with you? They think it's strange that you wouldn't want to move on in the same excess, in the same manner of life. And therefore, the response can only be one, and that is to speak evil of you, reproachfully blasphemous. Yeah, he got religious. He got Jesus. He's one of those Jesus freaks. He's one of those guys who thinks that the world's going to end and Jesus is going to return. He's one of those guys who thinks that, that you know, the only way to heaven is Jesus. <laughs> and they speak reproachfully. You know, I don't know about you, but when I became born again, I went back to my friends and, and, and hung out for a while with them. And you know what? I just felt so uncomfortable. We didn't have anything in common. And I knew it, and they knew it. And I shared the Lord and what went on, all that, but it was just, it was light and darkness. They were trying to be polite. I was trying to be polite. We were both uncomfortable, and it just didn't work out. But you know what's interesting? That through the years, many of those friends have come to Christ. And it's great, because they mark your life. You know, the thief on the cross, both of them cursed Jesus and spoke reproachfully of him. But as the day moved on, one said, Lord, remember me when you come to your kingdom. <laughs> so don't give up on your friends. Don't give up on your loved ones. God wants to use you to reach them. To witness the power of God is the first purpose. Regardless of how they respond. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before you. And so we shouldn't think it's strange. You should be hated by all men for my name's sake, he said. And yet I think even today in the Christian church here in the United States, we really don't receive much of this. Not to the degree that in other places where it's real uh, pagan and real religious, but yet it will happen. So that's the first purpose, to witness the power of God. But secondly, in verse 5, the perspective, they will give an account 
in the day of judgment. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The second purpose is that men will have to give an account for the witness that they have received. Nobody will be innocent. Nobody. You see, when they sin, they sin against light. Do you remember Jesus Christ, what he said to the cities of Bethsaida and Chorazin? He says, woe unto you. For if the works that have been done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have long ago repented. It's one thing to sin against the creation of God as a witness and your conscience. But it's another thing to sin against the creation design that points to the designer, to sin against your conscience, and to sin against the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, God says here through Peter that every man and woman will have to give an account to God as they sin against that light. And in the immediate context against the witness that you laid of the power of God and they mocked you and spoke about you. We don't have to defend ourselves. The Bible says that every idle word shall be made an account on the day of judgment. Now if the non-believer knew that, it would make a vast difference in their life. But they really don't believe they're going to have to give an account to God. Now the non-believer will stand before the white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. That is the judgment of the non-believer, those who have rejected Christ. And they are taken out of hell, or books open, to be judged, not for a second opportunity, but only to be judged, to give an account of their life, and to be cast in the lake of fire. No Christian will stand in the white throne judgment. That is after the thousand-year reign of Christ. The believer will stand in the bema seat of Christ or the tri tribunal judgment of Christ for rewards according to the motives and the works that we did as stewards. But every person will have to give an account on judgment day. None will escape. And so that is the second purpose for our suffering. And knowing that men have to give an account, we should willingly suffer what we need to that they might repent. Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We go out of our way because we understand the judgment of God. But thirdly, in verse 6 is the proclamation. This is the third purpose. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Verse 6 is really an explanation of verse 5. And what he's saying here is that the third purpose of our suffering is that we might proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and men might respond in a positive way. That they might repent from their sins. The word, therefore, dead in verse 6 as well as verse 5 some believe that it speaks about those who are spiritually dead and they point to Ephesians 2 1 you are dead in trespasses and sins in contrast to those who are alive who are born again others interpret that to be those who were alive physically at one time heard the gospel and now have died either way you can look at both it makes no difference the emphasis here is that men live for a time and God reaches them with the gospel and how they respond while they're living 
will determine how they're going to be judged after they die. And if men and women hear the gospel, and we know that they will in one way, shape, or form before they die, then they will have to give an account. If we look at it as being spiritually dead, the gospel is preached, they accept Christ, they're alive, they're born again, then their sins are never judged. They're judged right then and there on the cross. And they pass from death unto life. If the dead speaks about being physically dead, it speaks about those who were alive at that time, heard the gospel, they responded positively, they accepted Christ, and they're born again. But if they did not receive the gospel and rejected it, then they died in their sins and they will only be judged by the very word they rejected and be eternally lost. Heavy. Now many people don't believe that today. They believe that there's not a God that could exist like that because he's a God of love. But you know what? You've got to flip the coin over. <laughs> the coin has heads. And the coin has tails. There's love, there's wrath. There's light, there's accountability. And there won't be one person that can stand before Jesus Christ and say, you know what, I never knew it. Certainly not an American. <laughs> you can turn on any TV station, so many stations that have the gospel. You can turn on the radio. You can do whatever you want. And yet here, Peter centers on the sufferings of the believer for righteousness' sake. That he might suffer with understanding what's the bottom line we suffer that the lost might come to Christ Jesus that's the bottom line people and so grab a hold of these principles understand the purpose of your suffering that you might serve the Lord with joy with effectiveness not with murmuring not with complaining not with feeling so sorry for yourself that all you do is you're looking back always and you can't look forward but that you might look to the cross and have your eyes fixed on him and that you might see him as an example that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered did you listen to that now if jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered who are you or i to think that i won't learn obedience through the things that i suffer you recall suffering that you've gone through and you say, oh, it's not fair. Lord, how come me? And here it is years down the line and you look back to that monster and you say, thank you, Jesus. You learned obedience to the things you suffered. Thank God for his wisdom. Thank God for his knowledge. I thank God that my heavenly father is not a wimp. That he doesn't cop out to my moaning and my groaning and my complaining and my murmuring. He never stops short, but most important, he never goes overboard. He knows exactly what I need. I thank God I serve him. Submit yourself to the will of God. It's the best thing for you. Learn that your sufferings are to be with understanding. There are principles to grab a hold of, and there are many purposes why we suffer. Study the word that you may be a vessel of glory to the glory of Jesus Christ, not yourself. God will take care of us, but make sure that your life is not totally consumed in caring for yourself. That's what you did in the world. Hopefully, you can see the difference and therefore live out 
a different life. Pastor Xavier Reese explaining God's purposes for our sufferings, simple truths to look for in the next hardship that comes your way. Now, today's study is simply titled, Suffering with Understanding, and as always, we can provide a copy upon request. And by the way, there's much more to this study than our limited time on the air just doesn't allow us to present, but we're happy to include on CD for just $4 to help cover the costs. Now, that title to ask for once again is, Suffering with Understanding. Request yours today by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please help us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com